uh, come up to a uh, uh, little boy, looked up at his mama after a while, and she said, Mama, if he gets loose, will he hurt us? And so, you know, <laughs> I promise, you know, we're, we're loose up here. We don't hurt anybody. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John chapter number 15. I have... Uh, enjoyed my time here with you this week. I've enjoyed getting to know some uh, Texas history. I've read much of it in uh, books that I read. I love history. I love history of the West. And and uh, uh, I had read quite a bit. And then to actually go and see it uh, was a blessing. I enjoyed the uh, Friday with your pastor as we went around the different areas here in what they call the what you call the cradle of Texas. And it was just an amazing thing. And I enjoyed it greatly. And uh, love this area. It's beautiful. And, of course, they say if I, if I stay around long enough, everything's going to turn brown. And so, anyway, I'm glad I caught it while it was green and the flowers were still blooming and everything looked so nice. And you've been so kind. You, you have your hospitality, the hospitality of Pastor and, and Miss Sandy has been phenomenal. Uh, a great place to stay, get along with God and, and uh, all of that. And then good fellowship and great meals. And I've just really enjoyed my time here. And uh, thank you for making it what it's been, and I've, I've enjoyed every service, and I pray that God will speak to our hearts this morning. Well, you should be in John 15 now, and find, if you would, please, verse number 11. I'm going to encourage you to leave your Bible open as we're going to uh, look at some other uh, parts of this passage. John chapter number 15 and verse number 11. Jesus said, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. I want you to underline for starters two words in verse number 11, your joy. Did you see that? Your joy. I believe that joy is the birthright of every child of God, that God desires for his people to be a joyful people. I can promise you that a complaining Christian doesn't do anything to forward the cause of Christ. Uh, when we're no different from the world around us, we're not making any impact in their lives. God desires that uh, we have a joyful spirit. The world wants to be happy. They, they do. They're seeking for happiness, but yet God wants for his children to be joyful. The world's searching for happiness. They have destination disease. Uh, that means, boy, if they can just go there or they can live there, then they're going to be happy. I have a friend of mine that has a counseling ministry on the coast of North Carolina in a place called Nags Head down on the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, he, he started his counseling ministry. He said it's a great place to find troubled people. Now, you know what? We don't think that way. We think, boy, if we go to the coast, we go to the beach, whatever you want to call it, that I'm going to be happy. He said, here's what happens. People in their later years will move to the beach because it was the last time they remembered being happy. But you know what the problem is? They took all of their issues, all of their struggles, everything with them, and they found that a destination will never make us happy. He goes on to, uh, some not only have destination disease, some people have what we would call person sickness. If I could just have that person, or if I could just be married to her, or if I could just be married to him, or if I could be, and, and we get the idea that somehow or another, if I could have this person in my life, then I would be happy. Or maybe somebody, is what we would say, they have possession-itis. 
That the more stuff that I can get, boy, if I can get that stuff and it's newer stuff and better stuff and bigger stuff and shinier stuff and, and the more stuff that somehow or another I'm going to be happy. Some people have what I call uh, a pleasure plague. They go from one moment of pleasure to the next moment of pleasure to the next moment of pleasure to the next moment. They live for the weekend. You ever heard people, people talk about, well, I just can't wait for the weekend to get here. Well, I'm going to tell you as a Christian, Monday is just as good as Saturday and Sunday in the child of God. Every day can be a wonderful day in my life because it's a day the Lord has made and I want to rejoice and be glad in it. And so we find the world is searching for happiness, but they come up empty. And the sad fact is that many of God's people, are they're caught up in that search. If I could just be happy, can, can I help you that happiness is a byproduct? That's not what God gives. God is not there to make us happy. He is there to sustain us with joy. We're going to find that there's a great difference between being happy and having joy. They're, they're not the same, and, and Christian joy is far different from the hollow happiness of this world. Happiness is an outward matter. It is what we would say fleeting, it's fickle, it's fluctuating. You find it in the happenings of life. If everything's going good, I'm happy, but oh, you let things begin to go bad, and my happiness quickly turns to sadness. We live up and down roller coaster lives. Because we're searching for happiness. And, and God said, no, I want to give you joy. Joy is not an outward matter. It's an inward matter. Uh, it, it's constant. It's abiding. It's permanent. You don't find it in people and places and stuff. You find it in a person, and his name is Jesus. The Bible is filled with, with reference to joy and rejoicing. The words joyful and joy are found some 250 times in the Bible. Uh, you're going to find the words rejoicing and rejoice another 250 or 200 times. And you're going to find that over 450 times in the Bible, God is going to talk about this matter of joyfulness and rejoicing. Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, Again, I say rejoice. That word always means in every circumstance, every situation. I can rejoice. 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice evermore. Joy is the atmosphere in which the Christian has lived his or her entire life. And, and when we come to John chapter 15 and we look in verse number 11, I'm, I'm giving you, this is a long front porch, okay, to the sermon, so hang with me. Look at verse number 11. He said, these things have I spoken unto you. Well, immediately I'm going to ask this question, what things? What, what has he spoken? And we understand that in the larger context, it begins in chapter 13, goes all the way to chapter 17. It's the upper room discourse that he leaves the upper room uh, somewhere around this point, and he begins to go across the Kidron Valley and up into the, to the Mount of Olives where there he will pray, and, and there he will be betrayed, and there he will be arrested, and then he will go to the cross. There as he makes his way through the Kidron Valley, there are vineyards and, and, and possibly even the fires are burning from the, the prunings as they make their way there. And the Lord begins to talk to them about a parable, call, give them what we would understand the parable of the vine and the branches. 
That begins in verse number 1, goes all the way to our, our, our verse number 11 that we're going to see and throughout this passage, I believe it flows out of that teaching. Let me just quickly remind us as we look up in verse number 1 of John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine. When we look at this parable, Jesus is the vine. He's not just a vine, he is the vine, but he's not just the vine, he's the true vine. He said, I'm not a counterfeit. I'm genuine. I'm authentic. There are a lot of counterfeits out there. Allah and Muhammad is a counterfeit. Uh, the, the 500 million gods of Hinduism is a counterfeit. Buddhism is a counterfeit. Marxism and secularism and the state, they're all counterfeits. They may claim to be vines, but only Jesus is the true vine. He said, my father is the husbandman, the heavenly caretaker, the vine dresser, the one who cares for the vineyard. And we have a loving heavenly father that's at work in our lives. Can I help us to understand something that when we get saved, we're no longer sinners in the hands of an angry God. We are saints in the hands of a loving heavenly father. Not only do we find that Jesus is the vine, the father is the husbandman, the caretaker, the heavenly vine dresser, but we're the branches. He, he talks about every branch in me. He says, verse 5, I'm the vine, ye are the branches. You're going to find throughout this passage there's a key word. It's the word abide abide or to remain it's used 12 times in in this chapter it means to dwell with it means to continue it means to remain it has to do with our fellowship you remember we've been talking all week long that there's a difference between my relationship to God and my fellowship with God relationship is how I enter the family by faith in Jesus Christ God becomes my father I become his child fellowship is my enjoyment in the family as one of his children as I I walk with him and know him and learn of him and align myself with his will for my life. One is constant. It cannot be broken. That's relationship. The other, it can be broken. That's fellowship. I'll never cease to be a son, but I sure can have times in my life of disobedience that I don't enjoy the family. And so we find that, that, that this is true in the abiding life that Jesus talks about here has the idea of remaining in fellowship with the Savior, closeness of communion, and walking with the Lord. And, and, and we mentioned that the most miserable person on, on earth is a Christian out of fellowship with God. Out of that comes verse number 11 because he's going to tell us that an abiding Christian is a joyful Christian. He's going to teach us about how to have a joyful life. And it flows out of our fellowship with the Savior. There's the keys to what I would call the joyful life. Let, let's pray together and then we're going to dive in and look at verse number 11 in its entirety. Father, I love you. I thank you for your goodness this morning. I pray that the Spirit of God would be our teacher. Help our hearts and minds to be turned heavenward today. I do not know the needs of your people, but you do. I cannot meet those needs. Lord, I cannot forgive one sin, save one soul, restore one backslidden believer. I can't fix a marriage. Lord, I, I can't do any of those things, but you can do all of those things. God, I can't give anybody joy, but you can. And I pray we'll learn how to have your joy in our lives this morning as your people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want you to notice with me quickly this morning as we learn the, the keys to a joyful life. Number one, we must locate the source of joy. We've already learned it's not in destination. It's not in stuff, the, the possessions that we can gather in life. And some people, they're bent on how much stuff they can have. And then some who don't have any stuff, they want stuff because they think if I get the stuff, I'm going to be happy. 
Others get the idea if I can just have pleasure. And that's why the world goes from drunkenness to drug addiction to pornography and immorality and adultery and all these different things. They're looking for some moment of pleasure, some transient moment that will transcend the sorrow of their heart. And, and you know what? There's only pleasure in sin for a season. The fun will run out in people's lives. So we're searching. So where do we locate it? Look, if you would, verse 11, Jesus tells us, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. I want you to underline two more words in your Bible. The two words in the first part of our text, my joy, my joy. I drew a line between them, my joy, your joy, my joy, your joy. See the connection? His joy is our joy. The Christian's joy is Christ's joy in the Christian. At the moment of salvation, Jesus gives us his joy. I remember as a, a middle schooler, I went to Washington, D.C. The next time I went there was uh, just here back in March. I went for Capital Connection, and we were there, and we didn't go to the White House. But I remember as a, as a young boy in the seventh grade, we went to, uh, we went to. I guess that's junior high now. We called it middle school back then. But we went, we went there, and and we were uh, going to visit all the different sites: Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, Smithsonian, FBI building, Capitol building, all these different things are it's exciting. And then we we're going to go to the White House. Our guide told us he said, "All oh, the, the the president is not at home." I said, "Well, how did you know that? Did you knock on his door before we got here?" And then he proceeded to tell us that if the American flag is on the mast and it's flying above the White House, the president is there. But if it's not on the White House flag, he is not at home. He is not there. And, and friend, listen, so I went there and the president wasn't there. The, the flag wasn't there. Somebody said this, that joy is the flag flown high from the castle of our hearts because the king is in residence there. Hey, friend, listen, the flag never has to come down because Jesus, once he comes into my heart, he's never going to leave my heart. Isn't that a blessing? Joy is what we have. Rejoicing is what we're to do. I have his joy, now I am to rejoice. So many people are waiting on a feeling. Well, if I, I feel happy, then I'll rejoice. If I don't feel happy, I won't rejoice. You've missed it. No, joy is what I have. The problem is I'm not letting it out because joy is not dependent upon the circumstances of my life. It is dependent upon who lives in my heart. That's what God tells us. If you have Christ this morning, you have his joy. The source of our joy is our relationship and the fellowship that we have with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, in whose presence is fullness of joy. Oftentimes when we lose our joy, it's because there's sin in our lives. There's disobedience in our lives. Remember what David prayed in Psalm 51, that great penitential prayer? And he's praying after he had committed a, a heinous sin with, your, with, with Bathsheba and, and, and fathered a child out of adultery and, and had her husband Uriah the Hittite murdered. And, and he spent a year outside the will of God, a year uh, without confessing that sin, a year as a backslidden uh, believer, so to speak. And he begins to pen this great psalm. And he says, again, Against thee and thee only have I sinned. And then he comes to the end of it and he said, God, would you restore the joy of my salvation? 
He didn't say, God, I need you to save me all over again. He said, God, I need your joy back. Would you forgive me that the joy bells might ring in my heart again? And dear child of God, this morning, if you lack joy, many times it is the root cause of that lack of joy is disobedience in your heart, your life that you're not dealing with. And God can't give you and let his joy flow in your life when you're a disobedient child. Who's the source of my joy? The Bible tells me it's the Lord. It's Jesus who has given me his joy the moment that he saved me. And then we find not only do I see that I need to locate the source of joy, but I need to learn the substance of joy. Let's learn something about his joy because joy is more than a mere up today and down tomorrow experience. I find, first of all, that it's abundant. Look what he says. He says, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. That means filled to overflowing. You ever notice the Lord does all things well? Yeah, you ever notice that he doesn't just give us life, he gives us abundant life? Have you ever noticed that he doesn't want us just to love but to abound in love? You ever notice that he said, I don't want to just give you joy, I want you to have fullness of joy. Did you see that? Your joy might be full. Let me tell you what that word full means. It means to be, it means to, to fill up. It means a liberal supply. It means to be filled all the way up to the brim, but yet more than just that, it's up to the brim, and it's overflowing the cup. My cup runneth over, the psalmist says. That's it. I remember as a little boy, we'd travel up into the mountains of North Carolina. My granddaddy pastored in a place, uh, in, a, in a little country church in Edgemont, North Carolina, near Wilson's Creek. That means nothing to anybody here. They still pump in sunshine, and your GPS doesn't work. Let's just put it that way. I grew up in that little country church as a little boy. And I remember I would go up on the weekends because it was about a 40-minute drive because it was dirt country, dirt roads, and it took a while. And he would go up on Friday, and then we would come home on Sunday night. And as a little boy, I'd get out of school, and I would get in the car, and I'd go up there with my grandparents. And there was, a, there was the neatest thing on the way up there, though, is we was traveling those dirt roads, you know, and everything. You had to pull over to let somebody come by and, and everything. Uh, there was a pipe sticking out of the solid rock wall of the mountain and there was water running down the side but out of that little pipe there was a stream shooting out of it and you could drink cold sweet mountain spring water right out of that sort of like a little artesian well so to speak except it wasn't shooting up it was just coming out that pipe there was a a a gourd dipper you know what i'm talking about a gourd dipper hanging on on a branch right beside that 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 little pipe and the water coming out okay that was back when people still drank after everybody yeah yeah you remember those days i remember when i was in little league you know we we had one cup for the whole team you know nobody better throw that cup down and get mad because we was all going to be in trouble we had one cup for the whole team for the cooler of water you know Everybody drink out of it. You know, you didn't think about it. So we'd come and, and I'd say, Paul, Paul, stop, stop the car. Stop the car. I gotta have, I'm thirsty. I wasn't really thirsty. I just want to drink that water. Yeah. I was up in Philadelphia. They didn't get this. It was so cold it'd bust your teeth. I knew y'all would get that. And, and we'd pull that down and, and, and I'd, I'd drink out of that little dipper and we'd pass it around and drink. And then they'd rinse it out, throw it out, and hang it back up for the next car that came through. It took a little while sometimes, Pastor, for that little cup to fill up with that water flowing out of that mountain, but that's not the picture here. 
Oh, no, it's not the picture of my little cup and a little stream of water flowing out. Hopefully, my cup's going to fill up and run over, friend. It's like taking a, 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 a tin cup and sticking under Niagara Falls. And friend, can I tell you, the joy of the Lord Jesus can flow over into our lives, overflow that cup, and out into the lives of other people. God wants to see the world to see the reality of His joy in our lives. That, listen, having a relationship and being in fellowship with Jesus Christ is something to be desired. That's what God desires. He doesn't want us to keep... Hey, friend, God didn't make us reservoirs. We're channels of blessing so it can flow out in the lives of other people. That's what God wants to do at Union Grove Baptist Church. He wants to so fill this place with his presence and with his joy that what's going on out here is going to spill out into a community that desperately needs the gospel and desperately needs what you have. Somebody said, when do we have enough people? Friend, can I tell you, as long as God's sending them, you need to make room for them. The Bible talks about his joys being great joy in Acts 8, 8, abundant joy in 2 Corinthians 8, 2, exceeding joy, Matthew 2, 10, unspeakable, joy unspeakable and full of glory, 1 Peter 1, 8. It's a joy that's indescribable. It cannot be explained, only experienced. I, I remember one time. I was preaching, and, and uh, I was preaching on a, a particular passage and, and a psalm, and I thought to myself, I, I, I'm going to do a little object lesson. So I went down to the local produce store, and I got the big, juiciest, red, delicious apple I could find. I shined that thing up. I set it right on the corner of the pulpit. I preached an entire message that didn't say a word about the apple. Not a word. Everybody in there, I mean, they were on the edge of their seat. Like, what's pastor going to say about the apple? Why hadn't he talked about the apple? Are you ever going to talk about the apple? I got all the way down to the end of the message. I grabbed that apple. And I picked that up. I said, boy, isn't that a beautiful, red, delicious apple? Uh, boy, it's great. I mean, it's about just like a setting, just like this right here. And I, and I remember I, I took that thing and, and I looked at it. And then I took a great big bite of that. I let the juice run down my, my, my face. And I, I did that. And I said, oh, boy, that's a good apple. Don't that, it doesn't, yeah, it looks like, I said, you know what, you can, you can, I can tell you about how wonderful this apple is all day long, but you'll never know how good it is till you taste it. And friend, we can tell you about how good God is and how good knowing His Son is all day long, but nobody will ever know until they taste it. And friend, you can sit here in this church, but until you taste and see that the Lord is good, you'll never know how good He really is. Can I encourage you today to taste and see that he's good? But not only is it an abundant joy, it's an abiding joy. Look, look what he says again in verse number 11. He said that my joy might remain in you. Isn't it amazing how that, that, that gladness of today can become sadness tomorrow? That, that, that it, it, happenstance is good, I'm happy. Happenstance is bad, I'm not happy. It, but Christ's joy is constant. It's the constant companion of the child of God. It's a continual outflow of his joy in our hearts. That word remain means it's the same word of abide. And when I abide in him, his joy abides in me. That's why this Bible, you say, preacher, why, are you, why do you preachers get up and harp on reading your Bible all the time? Because you can't abide in him if you don't. Why is it that y'all talk about that you need to pray every day? It's not pray every day to keep the devil away. It's not that. No. You can't abide in him if you don't talk to him. Amen. See, I, I, I don't know. I, I think Pastor told me how long he and, and Miss Sandy have been married, but I'm not going to date them. I, I just know this year I'm going to be married 33 years in November, okay? 
I, I know that. My, my wife and I have, have been married for 33 years, and we've lived in the same house for 33 years. I told her, I said, if you ever want to leave, you just pack my bags, and I'm going to go with you, okay? And so that was, that was the deal. And, and so anyway, have you ever heard this statement? There, there were two, pe- two strangers living under the same roof. You ever heard that? You know why? They may have lived together, but they didn't dwell together. They didn't remain. There was no closeness. You can be a God's child and not be close to him and not know his goodness. And that's why God says, draw nigh to me and I'll draw nigh to you. And that tells me that every one of us are as close to the Lord as we want to be. And that'll, that'll register your joy meter. If you're distant from him, you're not going to have much of his joy because it can't flow like it needs to flow in your life. He remains, in a, I, I remain in fellowship with him that his joy might abide and remain in me. He's talking about something that's complete and constant and abiding in every circumstance. We have the, the gladness of heart even in times of crisis and sorrow and difficulty. It's one of the paradoxes of the Christian life. God never promised you joy without tears. He never did. Listen to these verses. 2 Corinthians 6.10, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Romans 5.3, we glory, we rejoice in tribulation also. James 1.2, talking about trials, count it all joy. 1 Peter 4.4, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. Oh, what a paradox. Joy and tears all at the same time. God hadn't promised me perpetual happiness. There's times that I, I'm happy, I, I laugh, there, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. But friend, there are times that things happen in my life and I don't feel happy, but I have his joy. You see, we can be like the teapot up to neck deep. When it's up neck deep in water, we can still sing. I think about Acts 16, Paul and Silas were... In, in, in Philippi, they had, they, had been, they had been beaten and, and jailed for the crime of preaching the gospel. Could you imagine going there and, and all you've done, all you're guilty of is seeing a, a, a wealthy woman saved at, at, the, at, at, the, at the local washing pool. And, and then you go down, and, and I'm not talking about a bathing pool. It's a place where they wash laundry and, and did other things there at a, at a particular pool. And, and here's, a, here's Lydia gets saved. Then you go, and, and there's a demon-possessed girl that's been following, and, and they command the demons do out. She gets saved. Can, can you and, and then and then she gets saved, and boy, it really stirs up everything because nobody's her masters aren't making any money off of her, and they go and they they bring trumped up charges against Paul and Silas. They're beaten, and I don't think that they they just you know give them a little slap on the wrist. No, I mean their backs were bloody, and then they took them and they put them in the inner prison. I mean where the bad guys were, and they put them in stocks, and their their sores were oozing, and the flies were blowing on it, and, and they, they they can you imagine? stocks and the pain that they must have felt and I tell you what didn't happen it wasn't Silas looking over at Paul and he said Paul what'd you get me into well what's this thing about living for Jesus and and all how good it's going to be what what in the world Paul I I never did see here Paul looking over at Silas and say hey you got a little bit of time all in Advil my back's killing me they didn't do that no the Bible says that they prayed and sang praises 
in the midst of that time that there was something that bubbled up in their heart called the joy of Jesus that, friend, listen, a beating and, and jail and, and suffering couldn't, couldn't stop. And, and it came out anyway. And that night, friend, listen, God sent an earthquake and it shook the jail. You remember that? And, and, and the jailer woke up and he thought the prisoners had fled and, and he started to take his life. And Paul said, hey, don't hurt yourself. We're still in prayer meeting. Well, that's what they were doing. I believe all the prisoners had got saved. I believe they was having a prayer meeting in there. They were singing praises. And, and I, guess what? That soldier, he'd been tossing and turning that jailer all night long listening to that. And suddenly he couldn't handle it any longer. He comes springing in, calls for a light. And Paul said, don't do yourself any harm. He springs in. I mean, he's trembling. Here's this man who, who's fought in battles and, and a rough man. And he, and he comes in and he says, sirs, what must I do to be? What do I have to do to have what you've got? Let me just tell you something. When you have problems in your life and all you can do on the job and in the community and to your family is complain and complain and complain and talk about how bad it is and you wish God would do this and you wish God would do that and why God's letting you do this, can I just tell you, your Christianity is not impressing anybody. Why would they want what you've got? Oh, but if I can talk about how good God is in the midst of my pain and my hurt, in my brokenness, suddenly they want what you have because they don't have that. They can complain with the just like we can complain. And they can fuss and they can talk about how life's not unfair and how they've been dealt a bad hand. And when we sound like them, we're not impressing anybody. Somebody said that joy is the seasoning that tickles the taste buds of the unsaved. Oh, there's never a day so dreary, there's never a night so long, but the soul that is trusting Jesus will somewhere find a song. Joy can swim in the stormy water, waves of suffering, long after the happiness has drowned. Friend, I'm so glad that God gives songs in the night, don't you? We need to locate, I want to be a joyful Christian, then locate the source of joy. It's in Jesus Christ. He's the giver of joy. Learn the substance of joy. It's, a, it's abundant and, and it's abiding. And then very quickly and lastly this morning, let, let's live the secret of joy. Live the secret of joy. Preacher, what is it? Number one, know the Christ of God. You cannot have the joy of Jesus until you have the Jesus of joy. Salvation and joy are linked together. You cannot have one without the other. So Isaiah 12 verse 3 says, Therefore with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. In chapter Acts chapter 8, when the Samaritans got saved, the Bible said there was great joy in that city. When the Philip, uh, when the Philip uh, uh, went and won the Ethiopian eunuch to Christ and baptized him, the Bible said that he came up out of the water and, and the eunuch saw him no more, and the eunuch, he went on his way rejoicing. That, that jailer that had beaten, and, or I don't know that he had beaten them, but he had no doubt roughly mistreated Paul and Silas there in that jail, maybe even cursed them or whatever. After he was saved and was baptized, he took them to his house, brought them out of the jail, took them to his house, fed them supper, and the Bible said he was rejoicing with all his house. Friend, can I tell you, when you come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, His joy can fill your heart. There's nothing like knowing that your sins are gone. Amen. 
I, I, I got a good friend, Dr. Phil Stringer, and he preached a message back at, that I was at the, at the Grace Conference here uh, about a year ago that I was speaking in with him. And, 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 and it was interesting. He preached on that, that morning main session on my sins were gone. And he went through different situations in our world today. And he would stop and he would say, but my sins are gone. I thought about that the last time I was on Highway 52. I was talking about that last night and people cutting you off and blowing at you. And I wanted to blow back. And I said, Lord, my sins are gone. <laughs> There's nothing like knowing that your sins are gone. Are your sins gone? Friend, you can't really know joy in your heart till you know your sins have been forgiven and that heaven's your home. Not only do I need to know the Christ of joy and the joy when he comes to live in my heart, he stands at the door and knock. But notice, I need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Filled with the Spirit of God. We talked about that last night. Just for sake of time, we won't turn there. But I'm going to give you a couple verses. Romans 14 and verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not food and, and, and drink or beverage, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's where it's at. Joy, Galatians 5.22, is a fruit of the Spirit. So when I am filled with the Spirit, I'm filled with His joy. They go hand in hand. And so when I'm walking in the Spirit, when I'm yielding to Him, when I'm obedient to God, when He's in control of my life, when I'm surrendered to Him, He produces His joy in my life. Friend, listen, if you're, you say, preacher, I'm saved and I'm a Christian, but I don't have His joy. Let me ask you, are you filled with His Spirit? Oh, listen, I'm not being ugly. But I want us to understand something. We don't have to work up joy. A lot of churches, they're trying to work something up to make them feel good that Sunday. But that ain't going to last when the doctor tells you you have six months to live. That's not going to last when you just had a tragedy in your family. That's not going to last when you come in and find out that you just lost your job. It's not going to last. Friend, happiness is something you work up. Joy is something God produces in you. There's a difference. And it comes by being filled with and in tune with and walking with the Spirit of God as we preached last night. Abide in the presence of God. You remember we talked about abide, 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 abide in me and I in you. He talks about bearing fruit. What kind of fruit? Well, the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, kindness, temper, all those things. Against such there is no law. Let, let me give you a verse. Psalm 1611. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Isn't that amazing? I love to go to church. I love it. I, of course, I'm in church all the time, but I, I love it, okay? I enjoy it. I enjoy being with God's people. I enjoy singing songs together. I enjoy praising God. But you know what? That's not the only time that I enjoy His joy. There's times that some of the best joyful moments of praise and adoration that I have are alone with God. It can be out on your tractor or riding your horse or throwing hay in a stall where you begin to meditate upon God and maybe you just stop and praise Him for a moment. There are some times that I can't contain it and I just want to lift my hands to God and tell Him how good He is and how wonderful He is and how great He is. And I'm going to tell you, friend, you say, well, I don't feel like doing that. Well, you just try it and it won't be long till you will feel like doing it and His joy is going to start flowing and you won't be able to hold it back.
Isn't God good? I'm almost finished. Y'all gotten used to that? I, that's biblical. Paul said a couple times, and I think it was in Philippians, finally, my brethren, and then, and finally. Okay, so I, listen, if Paul can do it, I can do it. Amen. Ephesians 5.19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. There's a time that we sing together to one another to the Lord, and then there's times I just sing to the Lord. Make a joyful noise to him to sing I, I can promise you the devil's waiting on you to wake up. He is. He didn't go to sleep that night. He's waiting on you. And I understand that none of us has had, had interaction with, with Satan himself, that it's with one of his demons. I get that. But we sort of use that corporately, don't we? And, and we know that we fight spiritual warfare and Satan seeks to, to, to beat and batter and discourage and defeat us. And, and he, he, he's waking, wait, awake waiting on you to get up. And he's ready to, to, to start right then beginning to put thoughts in your mind about how unfair God is, about how God loves this member of the church more than he does you because things are going good for them and bad for you. And somehow that you're a stepchild and you're not one, you know, and that's how you feel. Like I'm, I'm the Cinderella. You know, and we start, we get the Eeyore syndrome, oh, woe is me. And, and the devil loves that because you know what? No joy can be there. I'm not impacting anybody. I'm not making any difference in anybody's life uh, and all of that. And so he's waiting and instead, and, and we don't feel good. But you know what? If we would just start maybe, maybe on your phone, may, maybe sing a song, maybe a chorus, maybe a hymn, whatever it is, and you just begin singing to the Lord. You say, well, I don't feel like it. Sing anyway. And begin to sing his songs and the joy begins to fill your heart. See, he begins to produce it in us. See, the other is disobedience. We're, we're living in our, our misery and God doesn't want me to live there. So I, I need to quit living in my misery. God, forgive me for living in my misery and feeling sorry for myself. And God, I'm just going to rejoice in how good you are. And I'm going to begin singing to you. And I'm not going to make this about me. Self-absorption will rob you of your joy. Christ-absorption will give you joy. I'm not sure if that fits, but I made it up. See, us Southerners, we can make up words. See, y'all are still Southerners, Western Southerners, all right? We need to share the salvation of God. I don't even know if that's up there, but I'm going to give it to you. Anyway. Psalm 126, 5 and 6, He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. When was the last time you told somebody else about what Jesus has done for you? You don't think your neighbor needed to hear that? You don't think your family member needed to hear that? You don't think the people you work with and in your community need to hear that? God didn't give us salvation to keep it to ourselves. He gave it to us to let it out. I tell my people, you can't hand out what you don't have. And if you don't load some tracts or some kind of gospel literature in your pocket, then you're not ready. I never hardly ever witness to anybody that I don't leave something in their hand when I'm gone. Few people ever make a decision the first time they ever come in contact with the gospel. But if I can leave something in their hand that says Union Grove Baptist Church on it, they know where to come. And I've given them the gospel that they can take home with them. I couldn't tell you the number of people that have been witnessed to. And then they go to their home and they read through that and they get on their knees. And, and listen, I always tell people, I, I never leave a tip without leaving a track. 
in our hometown. Or, or when I'm out, when I go on vacation, I take them with me. I leave a tip. Now, I always tell people that if in our church, if you're going to leave a track, okay, and you're not going to leave a good tip, then you leave the other church's track down the road. You leave their track there and not ours, okay? But, but you don't think that waitress is broken? The other day, and I, I know I'm preaching a long time. I'm going to finish. I know the other day, my mom and dad, we were, we were at, a, at a, they come down to visit. They live about two hours away from me. And I took them to Rusty Roosters. That's a new breakfast place there in town, Rusty Roosters. So but next time you come up, y'all got to go to Mount Airy and eat at Rusty Roosters. But anyway, uh, anyway, it's good. It was really good. And uh, so anyway, the waitress come up. Her name was Stormy. I said, I said, ma'am, what's your name? She said, it's Stormy. I said, Stormy, in a moment, my, this is my parents. We're going to pray. And Is there something I can pray with you about? She said, oh, yes. She said, my dad's in prison, and he's getting ready to get out, and we don't want him to fall back into what he fell into. Would you pray for my dad? And then my cousin, he was four years old, and, and, and I thought she was going to have me pray for her cousin, but then she told me that her cousin had died. Well, he would have been four years old had he lived. But she talked as if, you, you understand what I'm saying? And, of course, if he died as a baby, he is still alive in heaven and, and, and four years. You know, of course, that, you don't count age in heaven, but you know what I'm saying. And he said, and here's what she said. She said, his birthday's coming up next week, and, and, and his, his mom and daddy are really struggling. Would you pray for them? I said, Stormy, I'll be glad to pray for your family. And then I prayed for, and she, I'm telling you, you talk about my coffee getting filled up. You want good service, pray for the waiter or the waitress. I, you know, hold, I'm, I'm good. I'm waterlogged. I'm fine. When I handed her a track, it was, oh, thank you. Because, see, I, we took a moment to love on her. And she wanted something. She just wanted somebody to love her. Somebody's wanting you to love them with the love of Christ. And if you keep it to yourself, you'll never know the joy of one day getting to heaven and somebody say, thank you for impacting my life. I'm here because you cared. And then lastly... See, here it is. We land the plane. Be faithful to the purposes of God, to what God has for your life. I'll give you this illustration. Probably one of the most joyful people of his day was a man by the name of William Booth. He's the founder of the Salvation Army in London, England. Somebody went up to him and said, Mr. Booth, what is the secret of your great joy? Dr. Booth, General Booth, however you want to say it, he said, it's really very simple. I never say no to the Lord. I just never say no to the Lord. Do you know why some are, you don't have joy in your life? Is because you're saying no to the salvation of God. He's been pulling on your heart to be saved, and you've been saying no, 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 no. And if you're saying no, you can't know the joy of His salvation. Others, there's areas of your life that God's dealing with and, and some areas that you're harboring, you've not confessed, you've still not dealt with it after two nights of revival meeting possibly. I don't know. I'm just preaching and you're saying no to the Lord. It may be that God's been prompting you to talk to somebody and share the gospel with somebody and you've been saying no. It, it could be that, that, that God's been trying to get you out of your moment of, of self-despair self and your Eeyoreism, and you, you're saying, no, God, I like it here. I like it here. I'd rather feel sorry for myself than enjoy your joy.
I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm just trying to be honest with us this morning. See, God's word gets right down where we live. It gets right. I'm a natural Eeyore. My wife will tell you that. Okay? I, I am. I can feel sorry for myself real fast. I can. Okay? So, listen. I'm like, move over Eeyore. I'm getting under, in that with you, you know? But that's not where I want to live. I want his joy flowing out of my life. What is it you need to do this morning? What is it that you need to say yes about this morning so that God's joy can flow in your life? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful last service of revival meeting. And Lord, you've been speaking to your people now for three days. And Lord, there may be some that still not responded. Lord, they're saying no. There's some here today, Lord, maybe they need to be saved. There's others, Lord, they're out of your will and there's things in their life that's not supposed to be there. They have habits and attitudes and actions that characterize their life before they got saved and, and they're living in that, Lord, and they're disobedient and they're not willing to confess that and forsake it in their lives. There's others, Lord, that they're angry with you because things in life hasn't went their way. Lord, they wouldn't say it, but in their heart, they're bitter at you. And Lord, they can't have joy with that kind of attitude and spirit in their heart. Lord, some are bitter at others and angry. And Lord, they've not dealt with that in their life. And they're they wondering why there's no joy. And Lord, here, here it is. God, help them to respond to you today. Put your finger on the area of their life they need to say yes so that they can be freed from that that's putting them in bondage and slavery and, Lord, keeping them from your joy. And I'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name, I pray. As we stand to our feet, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around. I'm, I'm here at the front, and God's spoken to you. Feet, heads bowed, eyes closed. And God's spoken to you, and I'm here to help you. And if you have spiritual need today, I want to help you with it. If you're not sure you're saved, I, I want to help you this morning to come to know you, the Lord. Can I invite you to come right now? Maybe there's an area of your life you need to slip out and do business with the Lord and find your place up here and say, God, I need to deal with an area of my life. I need to confess something. Lord, I need to forsake something. Lord, I've been saying no, and today I need to say yes. Why don't you slip out and come right now? Would you do that? We have people here ready to pray with you. You come. Stand.